What is up, podcast fans? This is Jared with the Lit and Lucid Podcast. We hope you guys are enjoying the first week of 2019 and have all of your goals and desires mapped out for this big year ahead of us. Lucy and I have our goals mapped out, personally and professionally, and are stoked to have you guys be a part of our journey. We have some great guests lined up to start this year and also have some dope things happening down the pipeline. So definitely stick with us throughout. I believe you'll enjoy it. This week we have an awesome episode, one that Lucy and I are both passionate about. We get to speak with Julie and Sam of Aster Farms and learn about their passion for sustainable, clean cannabis. Their motto at Aster Farms is the cleanest, meanest, and greenest. With a punchline like that, you know they have some fire behind their desire. We will also discuss Harry's Harvest, a new line that helps to give back to the community after the devastating California wildfires, and one that helps Harry's story live on. So stay tuned, stay lit, and stay educated, fans. Here's Lucy with your show. everybody to the lit and lucid podcast we are here recording episode 39 uh, we are skyping some friends from lake county uh, california we have julia jacobson here and sam ludwig of aster farms what's up guys hi thanks for having us yeah thank you we're excited to be on welcome glad to have you guys here yeah, so Julia and Sam, uh, they run Aster Farms in California. It's a third-generation cannabis farm. They specialize in pesticide-free, sustainably produced pe- uh, cannabis locally in California. They truly value good genetics, clean cultivation, and the power of nature in their products. Uh, so we're extremely excited to learn a little bit more about your cultivation processes and kind of you know your clean cannabis and things like that, what you're doing for the consumer. Uh, but then we also were uh, recognized that you guys were affected by the Mendocino County uh, fires that occurred a couple of months ago in California. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that, a little bit more about Harry's Harvest. I know you guys have a really great story to share with that. So we're super excited to learn more. Great. Yeah. So why don't you kind of just explain to us how Aster Farms came to be? Sure. So I guess... Uh, so my family has been cultivating in California for about uh, 50 years or so. And so for us getting into it, it was more of a rite of passage in a way that it was about time that, you know, California was coming around to recreational. And, and I saw, you know, a big opportunity there to kind of get involved in sort of that family business that, that my grandparents started up in the Anderson Valley a long time ago. Um, that's kind of how we that's the generation of it, I guess. And uh, me and Julia are married, so we kind of decided to jump in both feet together. And uh, we come from different backgrounds, but they're kind of all working together in a really harmonious way that has allowed us to remain married and happy and start a successful business. So <laughs> That's we're always both a plus. <laughs> we're both repeat entrepreneurs, so this isn't our first rodeo in the ups and downs of what it means to run a company. And something we've actually found is really interesting is maybe you guys feel this as well. Um, running a company with your significant other, there's just a level of trust there and transparency that you don't necessarily get in business relationships. So we've had a great time running this as a family operation. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, no, it's so true. You, uh, I mean, you work by, side by side by them every day, and um, there's definitely a level of trust, like you said, that helps out. I think it's almost like a, 
like a little bit of like an extra edge on other companies too, just because most people don't have that. So yep, that's awesome. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what makes Aster Farms different. So I know you guys are sun-grown, sustainable practices. What does that mean? So we grow outdoor and greenhouse. Um, we put all of our plants into the ground. We have fantastic native soil, and that's a really um, important component to growing sustainably and growing great outdoor product. Um, we use all sustainable techniques, really low input, high output. Um, you know, since we're outdoors, we have predatory insects that take care of the pests for us. So we love our ladybugs and our praying mantis. Um, and we grow full spectrum, um, full term flower. So that means putting the plants in the ground in late spring, early uh, summer and harvesting right about now. In terms of our actual farm, it's located up in the hills um, with a really great dry climate. It's not too close to the coast. Um, but what's really fantastic about our property is our closest neighbor is a couple miles away. Um, so surrounding us are hills and um, forest and foliage. So it gives it a beautiful, beautiful landscape. Um, and it's a nice, discreet place to, to operate our business. That's awesome. Um, how are you guys? Uh, how are you guys feeling about the comparison between like an outdoor product and like a, you? You guys have mentioned you have a mixed light there. Do you see anything different with your full sun products compared to any uh, you know artificial lighting product? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the where we notice it most is through curing and into the nose of the product. We feel that we get a much stronger, more uh, prolific scent to full sun-grown, full-spectrum product than we do in greenhouses uh, for a number of reasons. One, you know, we're, we've been developing the soil that we're growing outdoor in for, for the last seven years, basically, and so it's very, very rich in, in many, many different things that we need to grow good cannabis, where, you know, the mixed light, you're, sometimes you're recycling soil more often, you, you know, we haven't generated the same sort of organic compounds in that soil that we have in our, in our outdoor, which I think definitely, you know, uh, helps with the nose. I think that's the biggest thing that we've noticed. Um, I think you can grow equally as potent, uh, mixed light versus, versus sun grown. So that's not really something that we, um, consider differently. You know, the, the, Mixed light allows, obviously, for more than one season, which is obviously very um, valuable when running a business year-round. And in terms of, you know, in general, outdoor versus indoor, um, you know, sun-grown is full spectrum, so you get some healing properties, um, and it really enhances the um, effects of the cannabis that you don't get indoor. Um, and like we said, we have all of our favorite little ladybugs and pests that eat the pesticides, that eat the pests we don't want. So they act as our pesticide instead of having to actually use pesticides. When you're growing indoors, if you get one white fly, you're gone. Your whole room is going to be contaminated unless you're starting to use pesticides and chemicals. Um, so that's a really big difference for us in terms of those two ways of growing. Additionally, um, growing indoors is equivalent to millions and millions of carbon dioxide admitted every year. Um, there are crazy stats about the indoor use of electricity in California alone. Um, so we really believe that Cannabis is pure. It should be grown in the ground, um, and it should be grown in a way that you know really enhances that, which is not hurting the environment, not using chemicals. Um, it's pure, and we should be growing it pure. 
That's awesome. And I feel like there's a, a big community locally where you guys are at um, that is specializing in these small batch craft cannabis. Uh, so is that kind of where the consumer is going now? That's what you're seeing the drive from California is? That's what people are wanting? Or this is just kind of the movement that the farmers are taking? So we have, we have a strategy around the strains that we're using and kind of the batching that we're doing right now. Um, we have some core strains, so our Sour Maui, our Maui OG, and our Durban Poison. We will continue to grow those and you know, make them better and better every year. So those will always be around, and they'll be our signature strains. And then we also work with a network of partner farms, um, and they help us branch out into some exotic strains. You know, We are definitely not the cannabis brand for somebody who is serious smoker, smoking every day, dabbing, you know, that's, that's just not who we are. We're not the brand that's going to compete at the Emerald Cup. Um, and so, you know, in, in terms of our strains, we're not doing Sherbert 365, you know, Tangy, Skittles. Um, we're not trying to chase those trendy strains that a lot of the indoor companies and a lot of the bigger companies are doing. Um, and so that, that really sets us apart from the rest in terms of the, the strain choices that we're using. And that does lend itself into that kind of craft batch cannabis um, that you're talking about up in up in Mendocino and Lake Counties. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And it's a wonderful way to support the community as well, um, you know, by by working with multiple farmers and allowing them to have a small operation, but still get their product through the supply chain in a way that's going to keep them afloat. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm always, I'm always a, a huge advocate of, you know, refining your craft as well. Like you guys, you guys aren't jumping at the next bit to try the new, your latest and greatest strain. You're not sitting there spending a bunch of time, you know, trying to breed your own genetics. You're just sticking with what you guys know you can grow and you can grow well. And you're just refining that, making it even better. And I think that's, exactly. that's you know, where I wish people would focus more because then I think the cannabis industry would be in a different place than it is today. Um, but on the other side, you, I mean, you're always going to have that. You're going to have innovators, people trying to find the, the next niche product out there, things like that. Um, but I do think that what you guys are doing is huge because uh, you're just focusing on what works for you and, and kind of, you know, building off that, which is a great foundation. Absolutely. Well, and when you're, you're working with outdoors, you kind of have to do that, right? You have to find the plants that are going to work for you in order to, you know, give you the greatest profit, especially when exactly. you're being sustainable. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's um, actually been kind of interesting. One of the partner farms that we work with is a little bit closer to the coast. And so when you're closer to the coast in Mendocino, you get a lot of fog and there's higher humidity. Um, so in certain climates up here in Northern California, you really have to grow more indicas because they have a shorter flowering um, and growth season. So you're getting them down off of the ground before that fog rolls in and before the rains come. Um, so that's definitely, you know, an aspect of it. As yeah, well. we're somewhere like Lake County or Yolo, which is super, super dry. You're able to kind of grow later into the season and not worry about it. So it lends itself to bigger plants and certain strains. So. Yeah, you know, to, to piggyback on what Julia was saying, we kind of try to stick to a little more traditional strains, little land-raised strains, stuff that potentially, you know, our parents smoked back in the day. And, like, whether we're one or two, you know, crosses away from that, we do want to stick to these things that have heritage, stick to these strains that have heritage within Mendocino County, within Northern California that, that we're so well known for. That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. And, I mean, on the other side, the consumer standpoint, we've seen it in Colorado 
consumers are going to be gravitating more towards those uh, traditional well-known strains. I mean, Blue Dream's the number one strain in Colorado, has been since day one, uh, and I think it has a, it's twice as popular as the next closest strain. Uh, most of your craft cannabis cultivators out there are going to hate on Blue Dream, not grow it. But on the other side, consumers demand and they, you know, they want Blue Dream. So, you know, somebody's got to stand there to give the consumers what they want and give them those traditional, you know, trustworthy strains, I guess you could say. Because they know exactly. their intended effects. They know what they're going to get from them. Like you said, their grandfather's been smoking them. So they have that trust, the trust aspect. Yeah. And, you know, we see, we've seen what happened with something like Gorilla Glue where a year ago it was like the hottest strain on the market in California. And now it's, it just doesn't uh, move the same way. Very true. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, I know you guys were affected by the fires. Uh, you guys lost a couple of structures and I think a house on your property. So maybe like explain to us like what that feels like. We've been watching, you know, on the news, the California fires that are going on in Malibu right now. And it looks terrible. Like there's nothing you can do. So like, how did you guys feel from that and kind of share the story now? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you kind of how it happened. It was a Friday at noon. Um, Sam and I were doing some packaging work and stepped out to just take a break for a minute and saw this huge plume right over the next hill. Um, and, you know, we're a little bit newer to these fires than Noah, who's our director of cultivation. He lives on the property. Um, so, you know, he originally thought, okay, this is probably just a controlled burn. We're fine. Five minutes later, not a control burn, not okay at all. Um, and it was an incredible learning experience to learn how the weather impacts something like a wildfire. I mean, you know, we learn things like you wake up in the morning and the fire looks calm and like it might go away and you're going to contain it. And that's just because the winds haven't picked up. And then 2 p.m. the winds come and the fire becomes a whole other beast. So we learned a lot, everything about weather, about insurance, <laughs> um, you know, all of the different aspects of going through, you know, a traumatic experience like that. Um, we, the hardest part was the animals. Um, so we, we have uh, one farm dog, but he's very domestic. So he jumped right in the car. Uh, there are three farm cats. We were able to catch ginger and force her into a crate. Um, one of the other cats made it home a couple days after the fire. Uh, we actually have a feral Yorkie that lives on the property. Um, so she has been covered in dreadlocks living in the bushes for about eight years and the day that the fire happened, she looked at us and just stood there and, and we knew she knew. She knew if she didn't let us pick her up and get her in the truck, it was going to be, you know, the end. So she let us pick her up. Um, she got groomed. She has her ear infections, you know, fixed up. And she now wears a bandana and follows Noah everywhere he goes. Um, so there were there were some happy moments and some uh, definitely some silver linings. Uh, but Harry was one of the farm cats. Um, he's half bobcat, half tabby. And all the farm cats live outdoor, indoor, so, you know, they, they know how to make it out there. So we're hoping that Harry is still alive and just far, far away. Um, but that was pretty traumatic, knowing you have to leave the property right now. Yeah. Like, you don't yeah. have time to look. And just, you know, it's not like a dog where you yell out yeah. their name and they come wagging their tail. So that was a pretty horrible experience, um, just knowing that we couldn't save him. I mean, we were there, like you said, started on Friday at noon for us, and we were there for the next two days. It was, you know, advised evacuation for Friday and Saturday and most of Sunday, and then I think Sunday afternoon is when it was mandatory evacuation. So 
you know, we were, we're near Upper Lake, California, and so we were actually sort of at this intersection of these two fires that were raging. One was the ranch fire, one was the river fire. The ranch fire started about a mile down the road from us, so now every time we drive to Ukiah and back, we kind of see the start, so it's like, like start see where the fire started, so there's a little bit of, like, PTSD there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, you know, preparing the property up until the last moment. Um, we... You know, all the houses there have sprinklers on the roof, so we set the sprinkler up, turned that on, uh, and and then, you know, unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for us, we're advised to leave, and so we left and uh, sort of weren't allowed back on the property for 10 10 days, I think, afterwards. So, uh, you know, some of our plants survived, some of them didn't, um, but we don't know if it was weather from the fire or because we weren't able to water Mm -hmm. them, so that's something we'll never know, but, uh, you know, the, the guys... The, the girls, sorry, the girls who did survive. Um, ladies. The, the ladies, ladies who survived. <laughs> uh, you know, are strong and beautiful, and it's, it's like, really nice to see that, they, you know, they came back and were able to harvest and all that, so. Yeah. The experience, though, you know, people are posting photos on Instagram of this, like, blood orange sun. Um, and I remember talking to somebody in town when the fires were happening and just saying, oh yeah, all these tourists keep taking these beautiful, these pictures. They think they're so beautiful. The sun looks so beautiful. When you have lived through the fire, that sun is anything but beautiful. It is a horrible reminder of what's happening. Um, and you know, we also learned a lot in terms of, um, caring about the environment versus fireproofing your house. Our neighbor had built a defensible space around his house and it's horrible for the environment. Um, you know, it contributes to a lot of sediment getting into the water table, but his house survived. Um, so, you know, it it was a learning experience on many levels, but the good news is this was our first year in terms of building out our infrastructure for the cultivation site. And so it was, if, if this was ever going to happen, this was the right year before we have our next set of expensive greenhouses mm-hmm. and, and whatnot built out on the property. Um, and, you know, the good news is we're not going to burn down for another 30 years because there's <laughs> nothing around us. Um, yeah, so. so, I mean, it was going back up. It was, it's almost like a horror movie where everything is burned and you just have these interesting shaped uh trunks of trees more or less or it's all chaparral up there so more of like bush trunks with all these creepy vines all over the place and so it's like it's a perfect setting for a music a dark music video or horror movie and you know going up there and seeing you know what happened to the property was very painful when we uh first back up first allowed back up the hill and you know it's been a really fortunate recovery um i guess we could get into that where we were you know the, the community really supported us in many ways uh, immediately after i mean the, the cannabis community around ukiah uh lakeport area is very very strong and and they've all been there a long time and known each other very very well so we were uh given about 200 well no if we, we were donated. Um, so there's a nursery, Top Hat Nursery in Salinas, um, and they heard about our situation with the fire through our community and our network. And they donated 400 plants um, to our farm to get us back up and running. Wow. So they were teens. So they were, you know, bigger than, than you yeah, know, just three to four feet tall. Yeah. 
cool. Yeah, so that was incredible. We are thankful for them and for that for forever. Um, and Tara Vesco, the, the worm poop guy, um, he is famous in Northern California. He also came to our rescue and brought a bunch of fertilizer and compost oh. um, and inputs that could be mixed back in with the um, singed dirt. So the cinch soil. So people really rallied. We had field and rescue. We had neighbors setting up cameras to try to find Harry. Um, You know, everybody comes together. Um, And it was a really incredible thing. You know, I think part of part of the strike, though, is because of, you know, how common fires are in Northern California. So, you know, a few years ago, two years ago, there was the Santa Rosa fire. And then you know, there's probably 15 fires up within, you know, 200 miles of us every year that, uh, that's a guess, but I would guess that's about right. I haven't done that research, but, um, you know, people are used to this. And so we come together very quickly and understand that we'll make it through and, you know, health and safety is the number one priority and and everything else can be replaced. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's just like the stark, uh, the stark reality of it too. Um, that there's not a lot you can do when you're in situations like that beyond just get your stuff and get out of the way, essentially. Um, yeah, I, the, the way, you know, we had a, an airstream on the property that liquefied. It was literally wow. little rivers of, you know, liquefied metal. Yeah. Um, you know, to see, to see what a fire is capable of doing is shocking you just you don't really realize that mm-hmm. until you are there and see the absolute destruction oh i'm sure that is incredible that's crazy so i've seen something cool since then you guys have also started and, and excuse me you know if, if this has changed but harry's harvest is that the new flower line you guys have started from it and yep you guys want to elaborate on that because i thought that was something super cool that i was really interested in from your website yeah, definitely. So um, it's named after Harry, the half bobcat, who we have not found yet. Um, and so Harry's Harvest is our give back line. Um, and we donate for every purchase, we donate $2 to local fire relief. So we are donating to the Hopland Fire Protection uh, Volunteer Firefighters and the Lakeport uh, Volunteer Firefighters. So we've rolled this out with our Maui OG. We are going to be putting um, rotating different strains through it. And we want to continue this program um, beyond just the season and beyond even fire. Uh, we see this as a longer term product line from us that gives back for various reasons, whether it's helping out the opioid opioid crisis or veterans or more. I mean, fires are always going to be, you know, something that's happening and needs uh, relief in California. So we we're really excited about this give back line. It's been picked up by um, a bunch of retailers and we're going to do a big push for this holiday season. But we're hoping that this can help give back a little bit because the community gave to us. So we're really thankful for that. Yeah. And one really interesting thing, and I, there have been articles written about this and, you know, cannabis companies, most, most organizations will not take cannabis money. Even though we are a hundred percent legal, um, we in are California. in California, in California, um, because a lot of charitable organizations do take some amount of federal funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they then are found accepting cannabis money, they could cut off their federal funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of organizations that were happy to take our donations until it came to releasing who they were in the public. Um, so that, that's a, that was a really interesting and frustrating piece of this whole 
project because mm-hmm. um, these organizations want, need and want the donations yeah. and we want to give them. So that was an interesting thing that seems very unique to the cannabis industry. Yeah, absolutely. I've never thought about that. That is pretty crazy. I mean, of all the things too that you think about, that's not even, that would never even cross my mind. You know, giving back and just simply trying to like, you know, donate money and yeah. be part of your community. That's crazy. <clears throat> Well, that was also my question kind of with insurance. So since it's not federally legal, so how did insurance work for you guys? Well, it was, you know, uh, so it was Noah. Noah, it was his property that we lease. And so he had insurance on the property and it didn't seem to be a big, be a big issue at all. Um, the fact that there was cannabis cultivation on the property, you know, nothing. We didn't receive, he received the money for his house and for the other property damages and for a few other structures. But since he was the owner of the property, he sort of received it, but it kind of just went pretty straightforward. You know, we had an adjuster come up a couple times and look at it and adjust, and it was actually fairly quickly done too. I was very impressed. But in terms of cannabis companies getting insurance, um, we, we have product liability insurance and we have general liability insurance, but as an outdoor cultivation, we are not allowed to get uh, crop insurance. Yeah. So in California, there are some insurance companies that will cover indoor crops, um, but not outdoor at this time. Right. Hmm. Hopefully something that will, uh, change. will change in the future, but fortunately, yeah. you know, um, not too many big issues on your guys' property, I guess. Luckily, they got taken care of on, on that end. Mm-hmm. So is there any other way that people can support kind of this Harry's harvest efforts that aren't in California or is it really going to the dispensary and purchasing the pre-rolls or? Well, I mean, if you're in California and you can make it to one of the dispensaries and buy a Harry's harvest, that's great. Um, tell your friends about it. But if you're not in the state, you know, go, look up the Hopland local vol- uh, firefighters and look up the Lakeport uh, volunteer firefighters. They, the local volunteer firehouses, they're the first responders to these fires. And these are their communities. They're losing their houses as they fight the fires. So, and these local um, firefighters, the volunteer firefighters, they rely on donations, um, you know, because they're not federally backed, they're not state backed. So I would say look up, look up a local volunteer firehouse um, and, and donate to them. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. We will, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I do, you know, you guys touched on at the very beginning that you guys had had uh, previous entrepreneurial gigs um, prior to Astor Farms. Um, and then now this one together. So I think that's a pretty cool uh, little uh, duo that, that comes together. Um, what kind of, um, do you guys have any advice for any entrepreneurs out there that are maybe just now starting? This is their first business, either in cannabis or outside at cannabis. You guys have any, uh, any kind of tips and pointers for them? I, w- I would say within cannabis, I'd advise to take things slowly. You know, there's still a lot of moving parts. There's still a lot of regulations that are changing all the time and you can, you can invest capital in areas like packaging, for example, that will not be uh, passing all the regulations potentially within a few months. So mm-hmm. definitely get a good lawyer uh, and stay on top of all the, all the regulations, basically, and, and, and move, sl- move one step slower than you think needed. And a, a quality to have if you decide to jump into this is resilience in every possible way, shape, and form. Like Sam was saying, the regulations change on a dime. 
Um, and that could mean you've sunk money into packaging that's now not going to work or um, you know, a way you put a product out of the market is not going to be allowed anymore. So being resilient about you know, the actual ups and downs of how this industry is rolling out is huge. I mean, as any entrepreneur, resilience is important, but in this industry, it is absolutely essential. I also think we, we come from not very specifically non-cannabis related industries. Julia was in tech and I was in uh, film. And so, you know, we both grew successful businesses, which is, which was fantastic. But, you know, so many of the skills you learn within your, within your industry of focus or your previous profession is very easily applied to cannabis or other entrepreneurial, uh, endeavors that you might go on. So trust your gut, um, you know, know what you can do, know what you do well, and sort of make that a focus of starting your next company too. Cool. Appreciate that. Those are all very cool things. And I, I've seen that a lot with a lot of businesses. They move too quickly. And then, like you said, that's such a great point. Don't go, you know, run and buy the latest and greatest packaging because tomorrow it could not work or even today it could not work until you double check. Um, and I don't hope, hopefully nobody quotes me on this, but I think back in July when California went through those uh, changes, I seen somewhere a stat that said it was something like $300 million worth of product in California that had to be destroyed because it didn't pass. I'm not sure if it was testing or, or packaging changes or something. And I thought, my Lord, that is an astronomical amount of money lost. And all these companies yeah. had to just, you know, bear the burden of that loss too. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I mean, that we, we were ahead of both of those. We made sure that all of our, our packaging was compliant and that were pesticide free. And so we didn't have to worry about a lot of that. That was sort of built into our model already. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's, there's some amazing stats around July of 2018 that were just mind blowing really. Yeah. Crazy. So, so definitely if you're listening, start your own <laughs> business, uh, take those words to heart. <laughs> do your research. <laughs> do your research. Don't blow your yeah, capital your ones in your first mistake. <laughs> we know a couple of attorneys if you need one. Yeah. yeah. Get a good lawyer. Yeah. For sure. Run everything by your lawyer. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story of Astor Farms. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you guys are local to California, check out Harry's Harvest. It's a super amazing, um, you know, benefit that you guys are doing for the local volunteer firefighters. So we appreciate that. And we're glad you guys are still standing and moving forward and being resilient for next year's harvest. And we can't see wait to see what happens in the future. Great. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. All right, you guys. And with that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of Lit and Lucid Podcast is produced in partnership with YooHoo Creative and Design. YooHoo Creative specializes in marketing, social media management, content creation, and other creative needs. YooHoo, helping your company become who you need to be. If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at yoohooCreative at gmail.com.